<laughs> it was not great. I, and I was just like watching it happen. I was texting Reeves and I was like, dude, this is happening. I am fucked. And I kick it to all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track for Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Mirdon. Jared Mintz, my regular co-host, still on his honeymoon. This is his last day off. Uh, I'm assuming by now he's already accomplished his mission of making babies. So today we have a special guest, uh, Sam Vecini. Sam, say hi to the people. That was a horrible intro, so I'm oh, sorry we- to put you in a spot by telling you to say hi to people, but... I'm not entirely sure how I follow that up, so I'll just uh, I'll just go with hello. People might know Sam. Sam is a pretty prolific basketball writer. He does a lot of NBA draft stuff, college basketball stuff, the sporting news, um, as well as... Where else? Are you at uh, Vice as well? Where else are you at? I write for Vice. I have my own podcast. I just kind of do the thing, and it works. <laughs> if you if you follow college basketball, chances are you'll follow Sam on Twitter. He gives a lot of great insight. We're going to start to show off as we do every time we have a guest on with five random questions. Seal, hit the music. Five totally creepy questions for special guest co-host. Is it uncomfortable? Because it's about to be. All right, Sam. We're going to start off with an easy one first. As a writer, everybody talks about having a brand. But as a writer, if you were a brand of soda, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't. Well, the thing is, I don't really drink soda all that often unless I'm, like, drinking. So, like, uh, I would say probably... Uh, you can go off board if like, you want to go beer, if you want to go beer, if you want to go liquor, if you want to go... Uh, no, we'll go with, we'll go with, uh, I'm a big, uh, I used to have like Fresca in college. That was pretty good. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I can go like Coke or Pepsi though. It has to be like something random where you kind of get like a little bit of everything. So probably something, something like a Fresca we'll say. All right. That's fair. Right, what, what are your thoughts on Mr. Pibb? Mr. Pibb. That's like the root beer thing, right? It's the, um, it's the working man's Dr. Pepper. Yeah, I'm I'm not super familiar with it. Like, I think it is it like a regional thing, kind of. I mean, it might be. I know when I was a kid, um, I'm 33, so I'm a little bit older than maybe our listenership. It was really popular, and then it kind of vanished. I don't even know if it's still around. I, I feel like it's still around. Like, I, I occasionally see it around here in Los Angeles. But like, when I was growing up, like it was all Dr Pepper, and you know, I, I do think that it was. I do think it like might be a regional thing. Like, maybe I didn't really see it in college or in. Uh, in Pittsburgh when I was growing up because it, it just wasn't around. Is that where you're from is originally is Pittsburgh? I am from Pittsburgh originally, yeah. I grew up there until I was 18, then moved to Columbus for four years for college, and then moved back to Pittsburgh for a year to get my master's, and then uh, then moved out to Los Angeles. And uh, I will say Los Angeles is a considerably better place <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i live in wilkes pennsylvania which is right now we're supposed to get five inches of snow tomorrow it's 60 degrees right now so you know you get all four seasons in a couple days um next question for you i think i think that's exactly why la is uh, where i live now <laughs> i don't blame you um right now your avatar you have a beard in your picture is this the beard is this a look for um aesthetics like are you doing this to make a statement or is this out of laziness I have had a beard since I was 18. I can tell you that the first time I shaved, I think I was like 
11 or so wow. uh, was during the Bucks Raiders Super Bowl. <laughs> um, it was like at halftime or something. And like, yeah, like it, it's, it's just like something I, I just kind of deal with now because honestly, if I don't shave like once every like 10 hours, like some sort of you know, shadow comes in. So it's just really not worth it to not shave. Uh, I go through phases where I have a longer beard, where I have like more of like a stubbly beard, but there's always facial hair. No, I, I got to go back. I have a follow-up question. You started shaving when you were 11? I believe that it's 11. Yes. So are you, are you like tall? Like how, how does it, like what happened? Like, did you go through puberty super early? I feel like I have a lot of questions, but I don't know how to ask them properly. No, I'm definitely not tall. I mean, I'm like somewhere between like five nine and five ten. Um, I have, I would imagine, like Italian and Slovenian and Irish is probably like the three, like the three way combo to find uh, quick facial hair growth. So uh, that, that's exactly <laughs> what my nationality and my uh, my uh, heritage is, so to speak. So. Yeah, I think it's just like a genetic thing where there was just a massive amount of uh, facial hair relatively quickly. I, I do have one more follow-up question on the beard. Now, if you had a like, if you could just wake up in the morning, snap your fingers, do you have a preferred length? No beard, stubble, beard. Oh, without having man. to actually put the work into it. Like, because I, I also, if I don't shave every day, I end up with like a beardish-looking thing by four o'clock in the afternoon, and then. It's, and, and for me, I have really sensitive skin, so it hurts to shave. Um, but if somebody told me I could snap my finger and pick a s- specific style, I'd probably go clean shaven every day. Oh, yeah, no, I wouldn't go clean shaven. Like, I, I would probably go, you know, maybe ha- like half an inch length, like on the beard. I don't know exactly what half an inch is, <laughs> but we'll say that that's like some sort of lower level amount of facial hair so yeah i'd go something like that nothing nothing too short nothing too long just kind of like a nice a nice medium place a good place so to speak all right um this question's a little bit different um no rules street fight rules i guess if you want to call it also pretending these animals are real could a unicorn who would win in a fight between a unicorn and a lobster I think a unicorn because I think that like it would just step on the lobster, right? I have a theory on that. I have a weird obsession with this. Back in the day when I ran, I wrote for uh, uh, Rush the Court. I did a whole tale of the tape thing. Um, my theory is the, the unicorn would never be able to reach down. The lobster would be nailing at the hooves area. And eventually the unicorn would fall and kind of be helpless. That's my theory on it. Mm, maybe. I, I can see that. But like... I think it's some level, if they're just, like, fighting, you're, you're just going to get that thing where, like, the unicorn, like a horse, kind of, like, neighs and gets up on its, like, hindquarters and then just, like, falls on the lobster and, and just, like, crushes <laughs> just it. crushes it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's the more logical answer um, for the question like, about so the unicorn. More, there are so many more accidental ways that <laughs> a unicorn can defeat a lobster. Like a lobster would have to be very methodical and tactical, whereas a unicorn could just like accidentally destroy it. This is, I mean, that's totally true. I, I thought about this because the other day, I think I was watching or listening to Dan Lebitard, and I forget which country it was, but they used to punish their prisoners by feeding them lobsters. And like now lobster is kind of a, I guess, like a finer meal to eat. So I always thought that was weird. It popped in my head. Do you eat lobster? Um, occasionally. It's 
it's something I enjoy as much as any other seafood, like shrimp. We'll get shrimp regularly. We'll get scallops, like stuff like that. Like any, any time that I'm eating seafood, I would say lobster is uh, on the list of something I will consider. All right. Um, I have two more random questions for you. They're kind of basketball related. Um, people love Jim Beheim. He went nuts yesterday in the presser again. Um, the whole there's no reason to be in Greensboro thing. They don't really leave the state all that much. But he's, he could come off kind of grumpy, and um, he can rub some media guys the wrong way, especially if somebody's asking him a question. Um, if there were to be no repercussions, either professionally or personally with Jim Beheim himself, would you, would you give him a punch? No, I wouldn't punch Jim Beheim. I at least understand where he's coming from. I, I do think that he kind of comes off as a little bit of a dick. But, like, I, I also understand that uh, there are plenty of people who don't think it's worth the time to deal with the media and you know i understand that i respect it it's why i think i've tried to uh build my quote-unquote brand uh based on writing about basketball in a way that doesn't necessarily require access even if uh it is useful sometimes to me so you know i understand where Beheim where Beheim is going to come from here and uh having said that i wish that if he was going to deal with the media he would just deal with media in a more, I don't even know if like respectful is the right word. Just don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But oddly, the weird thing about this is it's actually, like if he went in and just answered questions, it wouldn't actually be good. Him being a dick to everybody actually makes for better, you know, following it on Twitter and for watching, watching it on ESPN news on the post game or whatever. So him being a dick actually might be better for content purposes. Yeah. That's my thing too. Like I always make fun of, like the statement is duke back like that's one of my like one of like the funniest things that has been bandied about like all year like i just recorded a podcast with mark titus and it's just like us talking about is duke back um <laughs> i think that content minds like this are just ridiculous like i am someone who just enjoys writing about basketball enjoys talking about basketball um i do enjoy the ridiculous aspects of things that happen throughout the course of of basketball games, but like, you know, like Jim Beheim yesterday, uh, making fun of Greensboro and Greensboro shooting back at Twitter mm. or on Twitter. That's hilarious to me. Uh, but like someone just riling up Jim Beheim because Jim Beheim's a cranky old 75 year old man. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't care about that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'm kind of pro anarchy in sports. So if Jim Beheim wants to, you know, if he's mad and he wants to show emotion, and if, if his emotion's kind of being condescending and a jerk, so be it. I mean, I'd rather that than some kind of bland, generic coach speak. Right. So I, I don't want to, I never want to punish him. I, my idea, I still would want to punch him, though. Like, if I was that reporter who asked, like, you know, like a, a normal same question and his response was something really dicky, I'd still want to punch him, I think, you know? <laughs> yeah, I... Uh- I can understand the disdain for uh, that a lot of people feel for Jim Beheim. I'm just like, you know, I do your thing, Jim. Uh, I don't necessarily have to like it. Uh, you know, I, I wish that you are just less of a dickhead, but that's fine. <laughs> All right. So, last stupid question I have for you: How tired are you about the Grayson Allen nonsense? Yeah, uh, it's definitely a little bit tiring. Um, I enjoy making fun of the Grayson Allen hysteria every time he does something like he goes around and like 
so yesterday there he gets the technical foul for like literally turning his back to the court and spiking the basketball <laughs> and because he didn't catch the basketball it was a technical foul like he yells the yells the f-bomb or whatever and you know people like pat 40 and you know respect to pat 40 he's a good writer um or like yeah he deserved that technical i'm just like he's not like He's not showing anyone up. He's not, uh, you know, spiking the ball to the ceiling. He's not spiking a ball to, like, uh, you know, do it in someone's face to be an asshole. He's just being a college kid who is emotional on the court. And I'm fine with that. Like, I I have no problem with guys who uh, are emotional on the floor but do it in a manner where they aren't showing up other players. And the whole – I kind of want to go on a rant here about this other thing too. The whole idea where if you spike the basketball and don't catch it, (laughs) that is a technical foul is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life to me. Like, if you want to spike the ball and you don't catch it and it goes all the way to, like, above the rim level or above the – um, above the backboard level or like all the way up to the ceiling, which is apparently now the roof. That is fine. Uh, the guy, a technical foul for that. But like if you smother the basketball, but because you didn't catch it, it's a technical foul. That is the most insane, like idea to me that someone can get a technical foul to that. Like that is, I don't understand why that would be a technical foul. Oh, I, I'm actually really totally with you. The idea, like what if he's clumsy and can't catch the ball, but like with the Grayson Allen stuff, <laughs> The Grayson Allen thing, it, for me, like, I fire, I was trying to, like, I'm here for the jokes, right? Like, just yeah, jokes. Exactly. Like just, so I made a tweet, like, uh, like just, it was meant to be a joke, like, out of control players, out of control, what a shocker. And then, like, my direct messages blow up, like, oh, I thought you didn't care. I'm like, I don't care. It was a stupid joke. But um, it's, uh, it's just, it's funny. We did this a couple years ago with Marshall Henderson to a different degree, because Marshall Henderson was very boisterous. Grayson Allen's not. He's just kind of within himself and out of control in other areas. But it, it's well, just... Marshall Henderson fun. Like, Grayson, for all of what's happening with Grayson, like, it, it's not like an overtly fun thing that he's no. doing. Like, he's actually, like, affecting other players when he does this stuff. Marshall, I mean, Marshall's fun as hell. Like, he's just going wild on a basketball floor, and that is, you know, I, I think that stuff is great. Uh, he, he's, like, doing the shark sign. He's going up and... <laughs> flipping his jersey at like Clemson fans like that stuff's all great to me I enjoy all of that um or maybe it was Auburn fans I don't remember now it's some sort of tiger um with Grayson though like I guess there are theoretically repercussions but also like he's just like out there tripping dudes and it's not really all that fun nor is it a big deal either like it's the weirdest thing I guess I don't know well, yeah, and I mean, like, it's pretty obvious he's only doing this when he's playing poorly, which is fine. Like, I get it. You get frustrated. These are when bad qualities are going to show up. Like, I remember telling my regular co-host the story. In high school, my senior year, I had nine technical fouls. And after my seventh, my coach, and I wasn't a very good player, mind you, my coach said, if you get another one, I have to suspend you. And I'm like, oh, I, I totally get it. And I think sometimes, like, you build up, you don't know why you do these things, so you do them. So my, I got my eighth technical foul. Um, I played in the same league as Jerry McNamara, and their team was tremendous, and my team was horrible. And they had a 6'9 kid, and he went up to dunk. I was a center. I'm six foot tall. He went to dunk on me, and I was like, I'm not being dunked on. So I punched him right in the nuts, right? Because I was like, I'm not being somebody's, you know, poster. You know what I mean? And that's how I got my eighth technical foul, and then my coach didn't suspend me because our bench was set, like our depth was seven people. So I think I get it. Like, you just, you don't know why you do these things. They just happen, and they're not really that big of a deal. 
I will, I will say strongly, I do not condone punching dudes in the nuts. <laughs> well, if you're going to be dunked <laughs> all right, I'm six foot tall, six foot nine. His, his name is Brad Felicia. He played some college basketball. So he's going to go. Foul him hard. Don't punch him in the nuts. That, that's Whoa. where I fall. Well, I can't. He was so much bigger than me. I'd have to. I'd be hanging on him. You know, like this was 2002. So there was really no gifts or means to be made. But I would have been that guy. It had I tried just to follow him hard because he would have shook me off. You know what I mean? Also, I don't. I didn't plan on it. It's not like I saw him going up because he was just spinning baseline going up for a two-handed jam. So it's not like I, like I felt the spin coming and I'm like, all right, let's get him with a right hook right to the nuts. It kind of just happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't plan on yeah. it. I'm just like, I'm not getting dunked on. And uh, that was pretty much my, my college career in a whole. Um, now that we uh, alienated a large part of our listenership that was probably hoping to listen to you talk about normal college basketball, now let's talk about normal college basketball. Um, everybody's losing their minds. The Horizon League's not putting in Oakland or Valparaiso. Granted, Valparaiso would have been without Alec Peters anyway. Um, this happens a lot. Not the best team from a one-bid league makes the NCAA tournament. Um, now everybody wants to fix one-bid leagues. Um, do you want to fix them? I would like to see it be more advantageous for regular season champions. And by that, I mean like outright regular season champions like Valpo and Oakland. I don't really have like much, uh, much in the way of, you know, an opinion on like, I I understand like if you tie for your team's championship, whatever, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that you need to be in your uh, need to be in the NCAA tournament. If you come from the horizon league, it seems like Belmont that are 15 and one. And I understand like Valpo is probably a better team than Belmont, but like uh, marginally Belmont is so much better of a team from their league than Valpo is in its league. Um, Monmouth is probably considerably better than anyone in the Metro Atlantic and the Metro Atlantic, like totally goes about screwing uh, all of their own conferences teams by holding that tournament at Siena. And that's a totally different thing. Um, what, what I would like to see happen is I would like to see the regular season champion essentially get double elimination in the team's tournament. Right? So like, if Monmouth loses, they then get a chance to play the uh, teams or the tournament champion in a game after the tournament is over to see who gets the NCAA tournament bid. And like the argument against that is, I guess that uh, oh, it would hurt it would hurt TV ratings, it would hurt the notoriety for the leagues, it would do this, it would do that, and I'm just like, I, I don't. I don't know that it would first and foremost, like I used to work in TV ratings. Like I worked out here at Nielsen for a little while and I don't know how much more viewership these small conference (laughs) basketball games are getting as compared to what ESPN's just baseline viewership is. Uh, I would really imagine it's not that much. And second, you're actually going to get, I would imagine more viewership for a second game that would happen than for a first game. Like having two championship games is probably going to help you more than just like a single championship game. Because the first um, one be like a marketing deal then, right? Right. Like, right. The second, the second point here is like, Oh, um, it's way too difficult for, uh, the TV schedulers to make this stuff work. Yeah, no, they, they make this stuff work all the time in the NBA playoffs in uh, the NHL playoffs, you know, shockingly, People who make six to seven figures to work in TV and schedule TV shows are actually really smart (laughs) and they know how to make stuff work and work for them. So I don't think that's a legitimate argument. I think you can work around that. I think that uh, maybe 
the the like answer is just simply putting these teams in the finals and that's the easiest way to do it and sometimes Occam's razor is the best way to do things the simplest answer is the best answer for me I don't necessarily know that I agree with that I want uh I want there to be a chance for these tournament teams to very legitimately move to the NCAA tournament but I also want there to be a very strong advantage for um the best teams in these leagues. So that's my idea. I uh, have a you know, single game at the end for the regular season champion and the, uh, and the like tournament champion and go from there. See, I don't hate it. hate that idea. I just think for, now this is just my personal belief is sometimes these we're so in it, right? Like we care, we know who Mike Dom is. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we care about things most people don't care about. And this goes a little bit beyond the conference tournaments when it's the NCAA tournaments, and you have the small schools nobody ever heard of as a 16 seed. Outside of us, who knows who they are? And we're like, yeah, that team from Vermont's great. You know what I mean? So um, my thing is, because nobody, like casual fans, like we're talking people that are just popping in now and the people that will only pop in starting selection Sunday, which when – and I I actually hate the idea that we ever want to cater to those people to begin with – but I get it because you have to maximize ratings. I think you made a good point. Like the baseline for these, like, like I like watching the AEC tournament. You know what I mean? I like watching Stony Brook. I like watching Vermont because I'm a loser. But like most people don't. So there's there's like a really low ceiling on whatever that rating is, no matter what they do. So like my thing is like, I don't think that many people outside of us actually cares if the best team actually makes the tournament. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like not necessarily, and I know what they're doing. They're not doing this for us. They're not doing it for media, and they're not doing it for the players or the coaches. They're like, hey, this adds early drama, a single elimination tournament, you know, a week or two earlier than the NCAA tournament. Let's try to capitalize off that. Now, I do like your idea of maybe, you know, heavy-handedly giving the regular season champion the best chance of making sure they win the auto bid. But I don't like those ideas some people are floating about. Like uh, I, I forget who wrote it. Maybe Gary Parish. That's reckless speculation about giving a team a random ten point lead. Um, that was GP. G- I, I, was, I, I love, I love Gary, but uh, that was that was not what I think was his best opinion. <laughs> no, no. Like it's a, that's, I just thought, I thought I, I'm all for outside the box opinions. That's just that's just a really strange one, and I don't like the idea of letting each specific. And I know the Ivy League, who just this year is going to do the tournament and previously hadn't, um, let the, the, the conference decide what, what format they're going to use. Because if every format's different, then I think we need something uniform for something that's going to be decided, you know, across a bunch of different leagues. Either you're all giving the auto bid to your NCAA or your, your conference tournament champions, or you're all doing it through your regular season champions. Yeah, I mean, I don't care if these leagues make their own rules about who gets in, who doesn't get in. It's whatever to me. Uh, I'm just not like, uh, I'm not going to get up in arms about it either way. Uh, I guess that I just want there to be a stronger advantage to winning your own regular season championship. Because to me, winning your conference over the course of 18 games is much more impressive than uh, winning three straight games in three days in March. Totally, totally. All right, let's move on to something else in your real house. NCAA tournament's coming up. You also cover the NBA draft. What are some guys you're looking forward to, to maybe not evaluate? Because I think at this point, 
you probably have a decent idea who you believe's good. Like nobody's gonna nobody's gonna Mitch McGarry their way in at this point, I don't think. Um but who are you excited to see in the NCAA tournament that maybe you didn't get to see as much during the regular season? Yeah, I mean, on the higher levels, I think that I want to see more of Lowry Markkinen. Uh, he has not been all that great over the course of the last, like, you know, two, three weeks. I think he's starting to hit a little bit of a wall. He's never played this many games, I would guess, consecutively over the course of a four-month period. Uh, that's fine. I think that he's a really good basketball player who will figure things out. In terms of other players that I think could make an impact, uh, Semi Ojale is a guy that I think has gone a little bit under the radar. I think he's going to go in the first round of the NBA draft whenever it all comes down to it. I'm a pretty big fan of what he can do. I would like to see Harry Giles uh, continue to make strides. That would be nice. I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, he... he just might be not ready to do that yet in terms of his body. We'll see. Bruce Brown's another guy from Miami that I really like. Um, you know, some of these older players like Dylan Brooks, I think, can make a run. Josh Hart can make a run. Um, you know, beyond beyond that, though, I don't know that there is a crazy amount of uh, guys that I'm still looking to formulate opinions on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, this is. It's that time of the year where, you know, everyone has seen everyone 30 times now, and we're just kind of going off of what we know. And, you know, the, the matchups in the NCAA tournament matter, and we want to see them uh, perform against the best in the highest leverage situations. But, you know, if a player plays poorly in one of these games, I'm not going like, <laughs> to forget about him. And if, you know, Ryan Archidiakono last year goes crazy in a game, I'm not going to move him up in my top, like, 60 players it's just gonna you just have to you know kind of understand that these events are just a small piece of the puzzle and you know we're always constantly evaluating from there do you see now this doesn't happen every year but it ha- like it happened with mcgarry um there was some reasons to be high on him um i'm gonna blank on the player from i believe BYU byu who scored like 50 points in a game what's his name Rafael Arojo. Yeah, like guys that kind of emerge as a national well, talking point for the draft. Malachi Richardson would not have gone in the first round last year if he doesn't go crazy in the NBA in the uh, NCAA tournament. Right. I um I was pretty public anti Malachi Richardson draft person to the point that Malachi Richardson added me on Twitter. Um, that was weird. I, I do. I, I just it's. I don't want to say it's frustrating, right? But you, so you invest a lot of time into trying to figure out who's decent, who's good. And, um, you know, there's, there's not like being a back end of the first round player. Like you're still really, really good basketball player. It just doesn't mean you're going to be very good in the NBA. So it's, it's always just weird to me how very casual observers will jump in. They'll look at the box score of somebody who might have like decent looking counting stats and be like, and then correlate that with one or two good games in the NCAA tournament and be like, Oh, that guy's really good without having any other context. And that's where I felt like kind of happened with Malachi Richardson. Right. I mean, he was a guy who shot like under 40% from inside the three point line last year. Uh, he's long, he's athletic. That stuff's always really good. He's 6'6. Six, six, uh, he fits the mold, the frame, or whatever. Right. And I'm not saying that he's not going to, you know, develop into a, a solid NBA role player. But having said that, you know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with him. Uh, I don't know that I would have taken that much of a project in the first round, but we'll see. 
Now, I'm going to ask you a question here because I just want to make this happen. Totally get it if you don't want to do it. How do I get you to get on the Taco Fall bandwagon? Um, and I'm, ta- I'm talking really like late, not not even this year. I'm talking next year, late first round Taco Fall. I'm not a huge like super giant fan. Like like I wasn't like a big Mama Do Enjai guy. I'm not a like a formerly Kenny George supporter necessarily and especially with the nba's going i just think it's super hard for those types to uh be able to succeed at the next level because i mean he can't guard anyone on the perimeter no like you you have to keep them within a 10-foot radius on defense does he have enough of an offensive game to really make that worthwhile he's decent touch but you know we'll see if he can continue to kind of build that touch out to like the 15-foot range and not just be a massive hindrance for guards who are slashing to the rim. We'll see. I'm not like a full-on hater. I really like the development in his game for sure. Like he has grown from being a guy that I did not think was very good at all as a freshman uh, to where he is now. So I I would caution people on getting super excited, but also we'll see. Yeah, my my opinion on it, it's weird because I think people – like, because I, I like him as a player, but my idea is if you could get him in the late first round and you know going in his role is like 10 to 12 minutes a game, but it's kind of like a really productive, disruptive 10 to 12 minutes per game just by his presence, yeah. I think you could take that in the late first round because you're probably a team that's contending. But I don't I don't think his ceiling's very high. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think his ceiling is kind of what it is. Like, he's going to block a couple shots. He'll get some rebounds. He's not going to get away, move away from the basket. He can't guard anybody one on one. I just think his floor in that twelve to ten to twelve minute range of the NBA is actually pretty solid. You know what I mean? Right. Like the the thing for me is like you just have to totally change the way you're playing basketball with him on the floor, and I don't know that he's worth that. I guess like. I understand your point in terms of like wanting someone off the bench who can change tempo and change the game a little bit, but I, I just don't know that I see him being worthwhile in terms of doing that because I think that he's probably going to struggle on defense just as much as he helps you in terms of getting offensive rebounds, scoring inside, and everything else that comes with that. No, I think that's totally fair. I think I think the good point, here, like what you mentioned earlier, like some of these supersized humans. They're just going to look good in college because they're just, and I mean, a lot of them play at a school like UCF. We're not playing the most dominant front courts in the country. So, yeah, he's shooting, like, you could just look at his things, and he's shooting 73, 73% from the field. He's getting almost 10 rebounds per game and only 26 minutes of action, 2.6 blocks, all that nonsense, and it looks pretty. But, like, is he going to be like is he gonna be able to stick, keep pace with NBA, NBA basketball? And the answer is probably no. I just think it's worth the risk. If you just lower your expectations to, like, yeah, we're going to waste the 28th pick in the first round to a guy who's going to play 10 minutes, you know? Yeah, and I think that a lot of teams would be willing to do that if they think that he can actually provide value for them in terms of changing the pace of the game and protecting the rim and doing everything that comes with his skill set. I'm not sure that there will be a team out there at the end of the first round that will be willing to do it, but if you told me he gets drafted, I don't think that's crazy either. Yeah, he's. A, he, I think it'll be an interesting case study of the way the because I mean the the term basketball unicorn is already kind of overdone. Unicorns are supposed to be rare. Now everybody's a basketball unicorn. But as I, as, I hate that term, by the way. So do I. I, I. I liked it maybe nine years ago, or maybe when Dirk came into the league because there was one of him, and now 
Kristaps is a unicorn. Carl, like everybody's a unicorn. They can't all be unicorns. People are out here calling like Miles Turner a unicorn. I'm just right. Like, okay, he can shoot. <laughs> well, like, at least make up a new phrase. Like call him like a basketball wal- walrus or something. Like change it per guy. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. In, uh, interesting to see if uh, because a lot of the seven footers, six eleven, six ten guys, they could spread the floor. They could do multiple things. They could guard the perimeter a little bit. Maybe not great. Maybe even below average. But they could do it. They could show. Taco Fall could do none of those things. So it wouldn't even shock me because he's a little bit older too. Like as a sophomore now, I think he's 21 or 22 already. So if he comes back right. next year, um, I actually see his stock plummet as well. It'll be interesting to see. All right, one more question for Sam. It's probably going to be a line, uh, it's a it's a complicated question, but we always like to ask people that have a pretty good footing in the media. Um, do you have any? If you were to give 17 year old kid in high school or a kid in J, just starting J school any advice in starting out branding? networking, the whole beast. I don't think people realize it's not just being a good writer or analysis. It's about a billion other things. So do you have uh, any advice for them? Other than yeah, I mean, don't do it. <laughs> no, I would not tell people not to do it. Uh, I think that the, the first thing I would just say, and it's the first thing I tell people whenever they ask me this, uh, it's the first thing I tell everyone is just don't be a dickhead. Like I was just talking about like Jim Beheim, like kind of being an asshole. Like if you're Jim Beheim and you are one of the 10 best coaches in the history of college basketball, you can afford to do that. But like 98% of people in the world, I don't think can afford to be an asshole. Like you, you need to have people who want to work with you, who enjoy your company, either virtually or uh, in person. You have to, uh, you know, not, not necessarily not rock the boat because I think it's valuable to rock the boat and you know make people think of outcomes beyond what is going on in their own brain. But like you just need to be able to do it in a constructive manner. You need to be able to do things in a manner that is actually positive and not uh, not negative. And like honestly, like I'm someone who like looks at things through a negative scope in a lot of ways. Like I, I'm the person who gets called a nitpicker all the time for what I have to do in terms of college basketball prospects. Uh, but having said that, whenever you're writing and trying to be critical in terms of writing, it's a lot different than uh, being critical in terms of being a person and being uh, just make sure that you're empathetic with other people and uh, you know, be it, a sports information director in college basketball or a media relations person in the NBA or a coach in the NBA or a front office executive or a player. I mean, players a lot of the time can be, uh, can be brought up to be very guarded. And I think it's for good reason. I I would just say like, you know, always be respectful. Just don't be an asshole and, and just make sure that like what you're, what you're accomplishing, uh, is positive in some manner. Always make sure and frame your questions in a positive manner. I mean, in terms of, we can talk about like other stuff in terms of actually creating content, but that's always the first thing that I tell people. I think you're right. I think for me early on, I had no idea because like the idea was for me, I was right there with you. No access. I'm going to go, I'm going to shake up the establishment anarchy, blah, blah. Like I'm going to change the world. One, I wasn't a very good writer at the time. Two, like these are like if you go after somebody, especially without without any kind of merit, um, you just look like an idiot, and you're just wasting that person's time. And they're gonna, if they remember that, they're never gonna res- respect or respond to you ever again in any kind of way. You could have like a 
And it's, I know it's very hard on Twitter because tone's lost, but you could have like a normal conversation without it resulting in you're an idiot, condescension, um, this is why I'm right, and this is why you're a failure or whatever. And I know that's hard on Twitter because there's tone is lost constantly. But I think you're right, and like, I, I, I kind of re- dawned on me maybe like a year, a year and a half ago, where it's like everybody's kind of doing like the, the industry's shrinking because there's, and this is a different discussion we won't get into, but there's a lot of people willing to do it, and a lot of people willing to do it for pretty cheap, all the way to free. So why burn bridges? Like, it doesn't make sense. You could disagree with your mock draft or my opinion on whatever, but by going after one of us or whoever else, it doesn't matter. Um, in a mean-spirited, jerky way, it's not doing you any favors. Even if you're right, you're just not doing anything productive at all. Right. Like, I'll make jokes sometimes at John Rothstein's offense, like, uh, or like his whatever on Twitter. And I mean, I think he's like a really nice guy. Like, I don't, I've met him before. Like, he is the nicest dude. He came up to me and said hello. Like, he is a genuinely good dude. Like, I don't, it's just like, the thing is, is it's not worth burning the bridge. It's not worth like being an incredible, uh, not being not worth being an incredible asshole to people. Just you know, be be a kind person. Be uh, you know, you can you can rock the boat and you can you know change the narrative of people. Uh, you, you can even make arguments against what other people have done. Like that's what that's how the entire blogosphere began, right? Like it was to you know challenge what these. Uh, mainstream writers were doing in the you know kind of bad opinions that they had but there's a respectful way to do that just do it with actual analysis and don't ever you know attack the person personally just you know make sure that what you're doing can be backed up make sure that what you're doing is uh respectful and kind and uh even if you're calling the person wrong just do it there's a way to do it i think that's uh, tremendous advice and i know sometimes it's hard and uh, like like you mentioned, Rothstein, I talk to him almost every day now. The Rothstein-isms. What I do now is if I'm going to make a joke kind of at his expense in a column or something like that, I'll probably ask permission at this point beforehand, especially since we're kind of on a friendly relationship. But with people I don't know, it's – I and I still have the habit. I have to delete tweets before I send them and be like, man, this just reads horribly. I'm going to come off like I'm attacking this person. So, like, I, you have to be very careful at wording and overreaction. But I think that's a great point. Um, that's all we have today for the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Joseph Nardone, N-A-R-D-O-N-E. You can find my writing at FanRagSports.com. Got a bunch of college basketball stuff up there now. Uh, I'll be dipping my toes back in the NBA draft waters in about a month. Sam, why didn't you tell the people where they can find you at? Yeah, I think that if you go to my Twitter feed, Sam underscore Vicini, uh, you will find a nice mix of me complaining about gambling losses <laughs> and uh, NBA draft analysis and actual analysis of basketball sometimes, too. But I, I try to keep that to a minimum. Um, <laughs> no, really, uh, I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate every uh, everyone who's listening uh, who also follows my work. And uh, hopefully some of you... Some of you will come along for the ride. All around me are familiar websites. Worn out clickbait. Worn out hot takes. Bright and early for the daily link dumps. No one's clicking. No one's clicking. 
their pinkies are filling up their pockets, but not for riders, not for riders. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.